podcast by the worst writers my name's jen and i am joined by my two co-hosts jesse and leah hi what's going on joined in person yeah all three of us are in person for the first time ever yeah and we're in a freaking amazing airbnb straight up a water tower shout out to our new sponsors airbnb (laughs) it's only no we decided that since we were going to take a little trip back to jen and jesse's hometown in Northern California that we'd take one day out of all the family time, all the sightseeing, and do a little Right Sweats Writers Retreat. So we are here with no television. No television. No Wi-Fi. No Wi-Fi. No Wi-Fi. And... No cell service. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely no cell service. (laughs) So if you're hearing this, it means we didn't die. That's true. (laughs) We are in Elk, California. Which is hard... Not Elk Co. Right. Or Elk Grove. No, no, nor Elk Grove. It's just elk, and it's very hard to find on the map. I've had to see a single elk as well. Well, we saw elks earlier this week, just not in elk. Yeah. They're really cute, though. All the elks were pushed out of elk. What? Oh, gentrification. Mm-hmm. Like, yes. white-tailed deers moved in. <laughs> yeah, they said that they were just trying to make the place a little bit nicer, but really they were making it unaffordable for just the elk. To e- increase property values mm-hmm. and they really just wanted some donut shops <laughs> so yeah. anyways we're in elk there's a record player with six records that we already burned through most so, of them skipped so there wasn't much to burn through uh-huh. so we had nothing else to do but to sit here and talk about writing like normal but more specifically to talk about sense of place writing right? or local writing local writing just sort of Writing that is about a place from a place or just maybe represents a place in a certain way. Um, Because I think when you are a... And it probably works both ways, certainly, but especially when I was in school, I noticed that writers from smaller towns that move to the big town want to just tell their story very vividly. I think it almost, you know, because they notice how different things are or the same or or they were the ones that got away and are ready to tell their story. well, and that was a little bit of what was inspiring you during NaNoWriMo this past year, is those pieces that you read for us were very much um, emblematic and, and evocative of the forest of Humboldt, the stuff that is right yeah. outside your parents' house. Right outside of this Airbnb. Yeah. Just big trees, quiet forests, dog slobber creeks. Well, and then I always... Uh, and then there's the other way, too, and I think, Leah, maybe you can talk to this point a little bit, is when I was in, say, Humboldt, which is a smaller school, there was city kids, so to speak, that wanted to talk about their city time, and almost because they have a captive audience now, just because they're the city mouse coming. And then, at the same time about that, I see a lot of city folk, so to speak, in writing classes that want to write about pastoral things that they may have experienced or not experienced, but just because it's so different than what's out there back their their back door, so to speak. See, and that's more of where I come from, is I don't necessarily, having grown up in the San Fernando Valley, there's almost nothing about it that I like ache and yearn for that I'm like, let me tell the story of driving down Ventura. Yeah. And I know that for a lot of people, that's a beautiful setting or a, at least a there's gritty, no lack like... Of, of, Valley stories. Right. And then where I moved to when I was 12, I moved to a very suburban area right outside of a major surf city. And even that never quite got me. I never felt Mm. quite at home there. So I never really developed that love and that passion for the beach town life Mm -hmm. that a lot of people that had been raised there had. So I've always felt like I've been looking for a sense of place outside of the places that I've lived. Yeah. And I've noticed that, too. And Jen went from small town to small town to very big city, because now you're in Seattle. Yeah, well, and I also lived before that even in Osaka, Japan, which is... Yeah. I mean, there's nothing like Japan in the United States. <laughs> New York's not even quite like it. Um, so, yeah, I've, I've experienced a lot of different varieties of lifestyle and, you know, experienced a lot of places... But for me, local writing 
which is writing that's supposed to have the local flavor. You know, you're supposed to be able to describe the way a tree looks and know that you're there, know that you're in the Redwood Mm -hmm. Forest, know that you're in Humboldt County. Local writing like that for me is really, um, it just kind of connects with me because having experienced so many different places, I like to be able to transport myself and fully, like, I guess taste all of that uh, through writing so I also really like to read that not just write it Um, do you like to read sense of place from places you've been or places you haven't been uh, both but especially that I haven't been Mm. I like to write about what I know I like to write about like Humboldt County or Seattle or Osaka but uh, it's a lot of fun to read about like New Orleans I've Mm -hmm. never lived there so Mm -hmm. seeing that local color come through in the story is amazing or you know southern stories I love that stuff like that that's just so different and I feel like I'm experiencing something for the first time that's really fun Mm -hmm. so with Humboldt because we've talked about that a lot it's a lot of the redwood trees and the forests and the nature sounds and all of that what is because Jesse has likes to sometimes put in local writing from his own time in the valley which he found to be interesting in a way that I didn't from growing up there and you have you know Osaka and Seattle how do how does city writing sound differently than more small town rural writing well I'm biased here because I have lived in a lot of smaller towns more of them than I have in bigger towns so for me city writing is actually kind of not always that interesting to me I'm not really engaged with shows that are taking place in LA or New York Mm -hmm. because there are so much of it that I already know what that feels like and it's not new for me or exciting for me so I feel kind of irritated by those settings um, <laughs> if I'm completely honest. I'll still watch a show or read a book if they take place there. I mean, there's a lot of fantasy stories that take place in Seattle for some reason. Yeah. A lot of the writers have literally never been there and I'm reading it like, this is painful. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's dark and cloudy all the time. So if like you New don't Orleans. have to see the yeah. sun, then you're a vampire and you can live in Seattle. Well, like then there's that right. bullshit which excuse to... I have been to... Which I, I think they use New Orleans for too, that that's a port. So there's always things coming through. You know, like... Or things coming down from Canada or coming up from the Gulf of Mexico. I think it's just those kind of bomby places that have hell mouths. Or, you know, <laughs> just, just a plot delivery device, you know. Yeah. Um, I guess I didn't really answer your question, though, because you kind of asked how they're different. Yeah, how do they sound different? I think city writing is... They try to capture the busyness of it and the, like, obviously the crowds and the way that it's you're kind of isolated even though there are so many people and it's interesting because it's the people that make you isolated not the place whereas with rural writing the place is what makes you isolated the trees make you isolated the people are what make you feel connected so it's way different it's like they're inverses of each other yeah yeah and i don't know yeah whenever i of like a like you said an la or a new york story where you know the city's the fifth character you know (laughs) <laughs> that shit I always hate too. There's a bit of falseness to it, especially when it's in movies where it's like New York's character in itself in this movie, and you're like, I'd never have been there, so <laughs> I wouldn't know. Um, so those stories have to get really intimate, and I think that works a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if you're reading like uh, shit, there's one that I read that was from this was called Amsterdam Stories, I think is what it was called in the the author had a fake name or whatever and it was just about this one street in Amsterdam and like the slums and the friends he hung out with and the artists he was friends with and that sort of stuff is pretty easy to digest because that happens pretty much anywhere um, but then when you get into rural writing it almost melds with um, nature writing in the way that maybe city writing merges with um like travel writing. Uh-huh. So, you know, like, you get a lot of local character and color in a uh, city one, because it's all about the people or the eccentricities or whatever. And then rural is more, like, about the majestic majesty of the, the environment. And it's almost more, less about people and more about, I don't know, space. So, 
Excellent. The reason, so the reason I ask is because I I feel like I did solidly grow up in the center. Not that it was a like quasi rural place, but I grew up suburbanly, mm-hmm. like yeah. solidly suburban. And I remember when I was younger, I absolutely devoured all of the Laurel Ingalls Wilder books, mm-hmm. all of the Little House on the Prairie. Uh-huh. And I think those have a really strong sense of place because they're all supposed to be places that she had lived as a child, and it's all based on her childhood. But I found that the more sparse the place she lived in, the less time she actually spent talking about it. Yeah. And that was when she spent more time talking about her family mm-hmm. and sort of being the observer in her family. Yeah, that makes sense. Which kind of goes at contrast to that, but it's also something I have very little experience in. Yeah. Well, well you, you can write local color that is about suburbia. Right. I mean, I mean, Desperate Housewives, stuff like that. Yeah. And, you know, it's out there. I mean, Gone Girl even, well, no, that just happened to be... That's incidental to the... Well, not incidental to the story, but... Right. It's not mm-hmm. local writing, but it is a suburban mom dealing with that shit, but you get me. Well, and I think the... When you see a lot of suburban writing, it's not tied to one suburban location. <laughs> It pulls on your of, sense of suburban living. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which I think kind of takes it out of local writing. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I get what you're saying. So you, you would have to, like, isolate it to a specific suburban setting. So, like, the valley, I guess, that you grew up in. But. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's what I'm saying is I think if it's local writing, the scenario has to be integral to the plot. But when, but that does not do all the work. Sometimes I think you see a lot of people go, like, Oh, this takes place in Brooklyn, so that does all of this work for them all of a sudden. Yeah, I think you're right that people As, do that. And then, and that doesn't even mean that you have to go and then go like, I've got to prove to them that Brooklyn's worth it again. You have to go like, oh, here is my relationship with this. If we're gonna go to, and I hate this is this is a terrible example, but if you compare like Manhattan, the movie, to like Radio uh, Radio Days, the two Woody Allen movies, Manhattan is called that because it takes place in Manhattan. Radio Days is about his life on. Coney Island, and it's all these like little tiny stories about this kid growing up and the weird things he did in in the, this one one neighborhood. Mm-hmm. So that's integral to the story, and that 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 fleshing out matters, and we know what it means to the to the the characters or to the story. Right. I think when it's just like here's the setting, that's not enough work. If that makes any sense. Yeah, it definitely isn't. Like when I think about maybe let's say Humboldt County local writing. It wouldn't just be trees. You'd also talk about the uh, the alarm that goes off at noon every single yeah. day. Uh, the tsunami warnings um, alarm. Yeah. Or you Is know, it's tsunami also warning alarm every day at noon on the Arcata Plaza. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Oh, yeah. we've never been there for that. I've never been there for that. I, supposedly, <laughs> it was like the lunch bell for lumberjacks. I mean, now it's. Uh, it, they say it's a test for the tsunami warning. That's why they moon bells have always gone off in small towns. That's yeah. not that's not new. It's not but. new. It's uh, but it's something that you know, like yeah. you would recognize that, or you would recognize that. Yeah. It's there's no like you can't go to Jamba Juice. That's not a thing. Yeah. So if you want a smoothie, you go to the weird hippie place, and then you know I, yeah, you get hemp seed in it. I guess the way I like think that. of it, the difference would be, like Springfield and Pawnee compared to like. Um, like Quahog, and not yeah, and, and and Family Guy, but that doesn't really make any difference except that it's kind of funny that they're in Rhode Island. You know that would be ineffective local writing, but something like Pawnee, even though that's a fake place, it has all these subtleties and weird weirdsies all explained. And all you these mean characters. where they just throw shade on the town of Fort Wayne? <laughs> yeah, you know, and yeah, and Pawnee is a good example because it's not a real place. Yeah, but if you told me that Mike Schur or whoever grew up in Pawnee, I'd be like, you can tell. <laughs> he really liked that town. Yeah, you know? as goofy as it is. He, yeah, and there's, there's. I think that's it. Also, is too is I think successful sense of place writing or local writing um, reveres what it's writing as much as it dislikes it, and it puts it at this this nice distance. Where because if it was just this place is great, it's wonderful, it's beautiful, everything's good, nothing's the problem, or everything's disgusting, it's terrible, both those ring false in a certain way. Mm-hmm. And then also, why do you want to read something about somebody who doesn't like something and just left, you know? But I think that can also be powerful local writing. It yeah. could be like, yeah, if that's true to you know someone's experience or they make it feel true to the character's experience, yeah. it can be interesting. 
I do think that Jesse's on to something where, you know, you run the risk of that, you know, sounding pretty phony because that's not really how people experience things, generally speaking. Right. But Or if they don't, it's it's still very... Even if they really don't like a place, it's that still there's a reason that is rich. You know, like, oh, right. I don't live there because when I grew up, I was different from everybody and they beat me the whole time. That's still... You don't have to prove to me, but that's still... A rich story than just like it's gross right 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 and if the place is really as terrible as all that and you have to leave it there's still a reason other people are there and so i would want to know what that is so and to totally bring down the mood and the vibe what i think back to is growing up and being raised jewish you read a lot of holocaust thing a lot of holocaust books by people who survived mm-hmm. or written as if they were there yeah and that description that trying to convince you through their writing that you are there in the camps or they're in the ghetto or they're on the train that's true like that is so integral to that experience of terror and none of it is positive that's oh true. you're absolutely but right. it's you're absolutely right. Right. integral to what their experience was yeah, yeah. That's actually really... You're right. So that actually kind of disproves... And it's not a grumpy thing. It's not like, yeah. oh, no one let me. It was like, no, here's some absolutely terrifying... I think it's that's just, a very valid... Yeah. Yeah, I think what I mean is true. just dealing with a a place with a sort of critical... Not critical eye, but instead of more than just going, I like it, don't like it. Right. Because if you like it, don't like it, then that's not very interesting. Travel writing or location writing, and I think you get that a lot in something. Um Excuse me, drinking a seltzer. <laughs> yeah, so I guess if you're telling a story of, you know, a New York trauma, seltzer, New York Jesse, a Safeway seltzer, Safeway seltzer. You know, and you can do sense of place by having even just things take place within like the bounds of yeah. a grocery store. Or I was gonna say the sense of place thing store. is really good because, I mean, the Safeway thing actually because when you read a lot of even in California, if you read a lot of like the the Asian American literature that came out of like the seventies, eighties, and nineties, like Safeway is super important to it because it was like the the market they had in their neighborhood. And there's so much of their stories that revolve around food that like a lot of things take place at just Safeway, and then I've been like the grocery store. And then if you shift into like stories from down south, it's like Vons. And I know that's a little thing, but you know if you know what that Bay Area looks like and somebody says, oh, I went to a Vons, all of a sudden you're a little bit like... They do. A little confused. Yeah. And, and that's not a big thing. That's just a thing that, you know, you pick up when you live somewhere. Well, know? I think right, even yeah. if you were to describe... Because we spend a lot of time in them. I think if you were to describe to me a Vons or a Safeway and then describe to me a Ralph's, if you had a good sense of place that when you were describing both of them, I think I could tell the difference. Yeah, because all of the different grocery stores are laid out slightly differently. They put different parts of themselves forward, and I think that a good sense of place would actually help you be able to tell the difference between your Vons and your Ross. Mm-hmm. Hi, I'm from Southern California, or in like Seattle, you know, Bartels Drugs or like QFC, places like that that we have that are yeah. in that greater area. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, if I'm in. The valley, and I make a Paquito Mas joke, it kills, but I can't go anywhere else. And yeah. Talk about Paquito Mas. I mean, but that's just regional restaurants. That's a whole different conversation. But if something like that does show up in a, a writing, I think it's. Instead of just going, to back to my last point, instead of just going like, oh, they had a gross fast food place, blah, but you were like, oh, they had a gross. There was a gross Arctic Circle there. Mm-hmm. Then that, that little bit of coloring that you can only do if you're. Paying attention a little bit helps, I think, when it's when it's a localized writing piece. Mm-hmm. But then again, yeah, it doesn't it doesn't really matter. But so with it you not- have to care, I think, is what I'm saying with writing a good sense of so with making that transition from it just being a setting to it being there for a reason. So with that, in your own writing, what stays and what goes? Like what what's that threshold of too much information, too much specific? Too many specifics. Yeah. Versus, like you said, Arctic Circle. <clears throat> you know, that could be integral to the character and their relationship with their father, and you know, so on and so forth. But it could also just be like, let me flex and show you how I know every like building on this one street. Yeah. 
That's a very good point. I think it comes down to like, do you understand how those, those stores or, you know, those famous people in the area, the comedians in the area, whatever, you know, like, do those actually matter to the characters? Because, you know, working a dead end job at Safeway in Arcata is different than like going to every single place along the plaza and like stopping by Los Bagels and then going to Esteban's. Yeah. Like it's very different. You know. Oops. Yeah. Well, and to that 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 you talking about, um, Seattle being used a lot too. Mm-hmm. It's almost like when you see in a movie every time they're in Paris, you can see the Eiffel Tower from the window. Yeah. Every time there's a book or a movie in Seattle, you can see the the Space, space Needle, needle. even though it's completely nonsense. You cannot see the Space Needle from from every building in town. And yeah. that's when it's a location and not a local writing. You know? Yes, you're right. You know, if somebody was like, "I'm late for my job at the Space Needle because it's <laughs> Seattle," you know, <laughs> I work yeah. at the top. I work on the elevator. Well, and something else too is you start get the you get the feeling that like when someone's local, they kind of understand that the like. Things the city's famous for might be kind of BSy. Like yeah. Seattle's really famous for rain, even though we don't actually have that much rain. It's right. actually just clouds a lot. So like someone who actually knows that would write about the dreary gray day. Someone who's never been there would write about the rainy day. Yeah. So it's you know you can feel the difference. Yeah. So with that, here's a fun little thought experiment. In a place that you lived, obviously not Humboldt. Because we've we've kind of beaten that horse a little bit. What would be absolutely integral pieces of local writing? So, like, for me, with Encinitas and sort of the beach community that I grew up in, to really set it apart from other things, you have to talk about how they were so anxious to not be a just a forgotten surf town when those fell out of style that they threw up these fancy condo apartments, put in a Whole Foods, and five years later the Whole Foods is closed and the apartments are empty. Yeah. You know, at the same time that they wanted to revitalize this area and bring in new restaurants and bring in, you know, really trendy things, they won't touch the one screen movie theater that still shows really crummy thirty five millimeter prints. Yeah. That's the I kind think... of stuff that I think would show like this is a place that I know and I have a love-hate relationship with. It's, mm-hmm. you know, as... You know what I think is an important text, and I don't know how long he spent time there, but I do think that Tom Waits being from Oceanside is important to his work. <laughs> and it kind of makes sense. Even though he doesn't talk about it. Because the shit you're kind of talking about, too, kind of sounds... It could be a Tom Waits song. You yeah, know? It's, it's definitely a city that wants to celebrate its past, but wants absolutely nothing to do with it. Yeah, and its future is not too exciting. It, it doesn't have a future. It has a trending right now. <laughs> well, that works. Um, I don't know. What do you have, Jen? For what? So, for a place that you've lived, what would be something that I would consider integral to, like, to uh, local color? Yeah, to local color. Mm, that's a really good question. Yeah, I think with with like the LA area, I'm tempted. I'm not tempted, but the idea to come up would be like. Oh, there should be like a homeless guy on the bus. But it's like, that's kind of everywhere. Also yeah, was, not a big deal. I was trying to think of, instead of doing Seattle and Humboldt, because I talked to them, if I was to do Osaka. Um, Is everyone dubbed Osaka like they say in animes? I'm kidding. I know that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> well, for Osaka, you could you could describe how it's, you know, it's like really gray. There's not a lot of trees. It's really cemented and the buildings are tall. Yeah. But it's the same in a lot of cities in Japan. So it doesn't <clears throat> scream Osaka. So if you wanted to do Osaka, you could maybe talk about like famous malls like Hep 5. Or, you know, you could talk about malls, but... That'd be cool. And I'm just trying to think like maybe you would have to really talk about what the Kansai region that it's in is like. And maybe they'll, they have like a local dialect that they speak in that's that, considered yeah. kind of like gangster, Yakuza from there. Um, if you have tattoos in that area, you know, or if you're riding motorcycles, you might be, you know, stereotyped as potentially a gang member or part of the Yakuza. Stuff like that. Um, so, like, I think that it would a lot be... Of the Jose manga that I read from there, which is the, like, not, like, little girl, but, like, teen girl, young adult, uh-huh. like, 20-ish yeah. uh, romance manga that I read from there, usually... 
it's the the guy with the tattoos that's just really misunderstood. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so he speaks in Osaka Ben and like so that you really like believe that he's tough, but he's not. He just oh yeah. He just wants to be your forever boyfriend. That makes mm-hmm. sense. That's true for all men, <laughs> um, especially in manga, especially Jen, bad see, boys. Did um, you see Shoplifters yet? I have not seen that. It's a good one. I don't think it takes place in Osaka, but it does take place in Japan. Oh, it's what? about a family of shoplifters. That sounds actually hilarious. I want to watch that. That's but, very good. So yeah, for Osaka, it'd have to be the way say, people did casually... See, did you ever see our, our kid's sister? I think that maybe took place in Osaka. I don't know what you're talking about. About these three girls, and they have a kid sister, and they have to take care of her. Hmm. I just think of Azumanga Daio because they had a character that was kind of um, not too bright, and she was from Osaka. Yep, yep. And that's actually, the dialect is kind of stereotyped a certain way. You're either seen as, like, kind of tough, kind of maybe dumb. It just depends, kind of. In the English dub I heard, they did it as, like, a Texan accent. Yeah, it's not seen, it's not seen as, it's obviously not seen as standard Japanese. Right. So it's not considered correct. So that'd be a big part of it, is the dialect. So that's actually really good. That's a good point, is like language changes from place to place as well. That's what I was going to ask, because that's always dicey, writing in a dialect. Like, I don't know Mm -hmm. if I would ever try. Um, But I do know that, like, you know, what is Grapes of Wrath without without being written in that dialect? But it also doesn't really need it. Well, Joyce, too. Yeah. I'm really pro writing dialects, but only if you actually research that dialect. Yeah. It's not that hard to, well, I suppose it's time consuming, but it's not difficult to learn dialects of your you native language. Should be listening for it. Is yeah. it? Do you think it's more sensitive to describe a dialect or to try to write out that dialect? I've heard different arguments for that. I do think that there's like an insulting way people right. will kind of like mimic the literal sounds. And that's not necessary. You yeah. can just write the words because, like, the dialect will inherently have the sounds. You don't need to yeah. mock that those sounds. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I've seen it, and I, I brought up James Joyce a few minutes ago. I've seen it in some ways where it's meant to be like a puzzle. So you're meant to sort of inhabit the character that's hearing someone speak in a thick accent. Yeah. And you don't quite understand it. You kind of have to, like, when you're listening to someone who has a thick like a thick dialect or a very thick accent, you have to go like, okay, wait, what did they just say? And like, go right. and replay it in your head. Yeah. So then and that's they write the purpose. In, right. Uh, but there are people that are just like, for no reason, they make it illegible. Well, and yeah. sometimes it can be kind of racial as well, because, well, yeah. you know, Most certain dialects are, you know, common among, like, black people specifically, so, like, black English will be, you know, African portrayed in... dialect. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Did, you ever see, did you ever read Tortilla Flat? That's Steinbeck no. book. So that's about a group of... It's not, that's not great. They're just drunks the whole book. But uh, this group of Mexican migrants that go to the Salinas Valley, and they're all like... Their only modus operandi is they want wine. Like, they just want to get jugs of wine. They have their... Their houses, they're fine. All they want to do is drink, and it's a parody of, like, Arthurian legend. Like, oh. the main ones, like Arthur or whatever. Or, and they all speak in, um, like, Old English. All their dialects are just, like, long soliloquies, which always felt like a little bit of, like, a response to his, like, real strict Oki dialect he's done in, in other books. Yeah, that's I, not a good way to do it, but it's a way. Yeah. It's, it is one of those things where local color and sense of place writing seems really easy. Yeah. Until you're doing it. For a place that you're not familiar with. Well, yeah. mm-hmm. that's what I was wondering. How much do you worry about the person who knows more than you about what you're writing when it comes to something like that? Like, like I'm almost worried about writing humbled sense of place things because I know it so closely about the people who know it better than me reading it. Because, you know, if I read that and I saw that it was wrong, I would make fun of it and check out. You know, so I get worried about being wrong. And then if it's somewhere I'm not familiar with, then that's that's compound that's compounded. You know, it's even worse. Right. How well, do you guys do? That? Can you tell with with someone in their writing? Do you have a way of picking up on a sense of respect? Because I want to believe that. I feel like I'm pretty good at telling when a writer hates what they're writing about. Yeah. Right. Well, you assume that that's always. Well, and I think that people can 
get it wrong and it was unintentional, but it is still a problem that they didn't research this accurately and didn't give it enough respect, didn't give it the respect yeah. that it deserves. Right. So I actually do think that if we're going to write about and specifically try to capture that local color and that sense of place of places we haven't been things we haven't experienced and those are into uh integral god those are critical to the story so those are critical to the story if those components are critical to the story we need to research them really well and there is literally no reason on earth not to just talk to someone from there and say hey what do you think of this yeah you mean like we were all trying to do with our uh christmas in kansas city <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah let's pick a town that we know nothing about that is a lot of fun though i think it's fun to learn about new places i'm i'm in favor of it but i absolutely agree with you Leah. it has to come with a really high level of respect well there's definitely like if you're going to be writing about a place you don't know I would use to research, but if you don't, then don't talk about anything specific. Yeah, right. You know, just be like, I was going down the road and I saw a park. That's yeah. not great, but that's fine. Not yeah. every setting needs to have local color or a real sense of place. Not every story needs to be local. Yeah, color. I mean, yeah. unless unless at that same time your 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 story about your hometown or whatever, you go to Greens Park and you tell this story and it's just a a fictionalized version of that, but bunch of mixed together things you know well harkening back to our, yeah. our christmas thing you know we were trying to make fun of a genre in which they'll pick whatever city is trending at the moment yeah and it doesn't matter what local color <clears throat> there is because it's all bullshit mm-hmm. yeah you know the trope of the genre is that it's bullshit that's true so you know you do that for a reason so if you're writing a piece and you're thinking of your setting what is it that makes you choose a real place and to give it that local color or that sense of place versus making up a fictional town that just invokes similar feelings but yeah. not specific emotions? That's different for everyone, but for me specifically, the only time I'm ever drawn to actually like local color writing like is literally four places that I lived because they just inspired me so greatly that I want those feelings i want to share them i want them all over the page because place can have such a huge effect on people so yeah yeah i'd have to agree um i guess it depends on what the purpose is i think if it's more introspective and memoirish i think talking about a direct spot is fine uh but then i know that you often use you know multiple layers and this part of the character is supposed to be you expressing something, but not all of it, you know, so... Right. I know that that's not always a one-to-one, so then you might use something that's a little a little less specific. I think it just kind of depends on, on what your purpose is. Um, um, I have chosen to write sometimes about places I've been just because I spent a lot of time there, and I just have to kind of get it out, you right. know, or... You know, I had this idea when I was that place, so what I can envision is that place, so it's easy to write that that place into it. Um, but I think there's also a real point to choosing places you haven't been or places that are artificial than to stand as placeholders and to, to, and to stand in for something larger. Right. Um, you know, uh, what's the end of uh, Daisy Miller? She goes to... Synecdoche, New York, or something. Yeah. And it also, you know, it's because that, what is it, a synecdoche? Yeah, but then what's the the literary term? Oh. It's basically uh, the same word. Yeah. You know, it's something small representing the whole, you know, and that's the point of the book at the end of it, you know? Right. Because I tend to stay away from things like local color and sense of place in tying it to a real location because... I gravitate towards doing more really heavy lifting with my characters. Yeah. And I don't like these things really getting in the way. I don't feel comfortable enough writing about any of the places I've experienced or seen in a way that could enhance the story without it being distracting. Yeah. Mm, And that's what I ran into with Nano is when I was trying to set it in some place that was very evocative of my time in Eureka, Uh I would get really tripped up in the house. But I never yeah. got to a place where the house was impacting the characters in the way that I wanted it to. I wanted this to feel like 
a grand burden, someplace yeah. that was beautiful and old, but also really traps you there. Mm -hmm. And while I can say that right now, getting that into a prose form, fleshing that out over, you know, all, as many words as we were trying to get to for Nano, uh -huh. 50,000? Yeah. Yeah. It, it wasn't coming out that way. It wasn't coming out in a way that was eloquent and well thought yeah. out and meaningful to the characters well, yeah. that I also spent time on. When I, when I sort of think about it too, it's, it's another tool in the tool belt, you know, to talk about a certain space will generate a very specific feeling that can be easily matched by people who have shared that with you that maybe not can't easily be matched with somebody who don't know what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think depending on what you want to do, if you want to be hyper specific and maybe you reenact something inside of you that's actually happened, I think being hyper specific is, is better. But then I think if your point is just to get across the feeling of a place, then maybe maybe a fake version of that is better. Like I think of, you know, one of the best Pacific Northwest stories that localized to Humboldt or Seattle or whatever else is like Twin Peaks. Twin Peaks oh, doesn't really yeah. exist. Yeah. That's you know? a very good point. Or Pawnee, you know, but it's it's just sort of this sense of a we all understand where Twin Peaks is, even if it's not real, if you're sort of from this region. Right. Yeah, that's very or, true. Uh, or like Agrestic from Weeds. Right. You know. Oh, I understood that very well. Does it, I don't think Agrestic exists. Yeah. It doesn't. But you kind of know exactly you know, where it is, what the, what's going on. So with that, you just named a couple. Thinking back specifically to books, what are, like, what's a really influential piece of local color that really kind of stuck with you whether it's a place that you know or a place that you have no idea uh-huh um there's probably a lot but if I'm, I'm gonna go with a local one then you guys can go around and i'll remember one that's i have not been to but raymond carver if you know him he's a short story writer or was and he actually went to school in humble i think he graduated from there i think he taught there for a little bit but a lot of his short stories take place like literally in arcada Trinidad or a couple other places in Humboldt mm -hmm. and he uses like street names and and uh, beach names and I think it helps and I also think if you don't know what he's talking about because he's got plenty of other stories from places I don't know and I sort of get where he's what he's describing without having been there um, so those those ones I've always really liked because they've been very hyper specific towards and the weird one about that though is the characters aren't quite what I would think of as humble characters. <laughs> like, they feel like he's a teacher who moved into town. Right. And that's what he was. And so he's, like, always talking about, like, oh, the salty waitress. And, you know, I don't really live through Eureka through salty waitresses because the salty waitress, for me, because I've been there a long time, is the friend of a friend of a sibling of a friend. Yeah, it's someone's mom that you, you If know. we talk long enough, we'll figure it out. You know, yeah. it's not just... And that doesn't mean I think their life's any richer than the salty waitress. It's just a little different. So for me, honestly, like I can't really think of an example um, right now except The Awakening mm -hmm. um, because that was when I was formally introduced in an academic setting to what local writing even is. I've obviously seen it and experienced it, right. but without knowing the language and how to describe it uh -huh. and knowing that it was like a specific kind of uh, style. So for me, it was like that was when I realized that was an option that I could do that on purpose. And so that was a really influential piece of work for me, even though there were a lot of different opinions in class. I remember Jesse was actually in that class with me. Yeah. There were a lot of, there were a lot of uh, controversial opinions about having that book even assigned to us, but did you, have, did you have some hot takes, Jesse? No, well, it wasn't even classic. No, that's a great book. There were a lot of people who were real mad that we were reading something about ladies in the olden times. Oh. I don't remember. Yeah, I don't remember people being, being bothered. Oh, I definitely, yeah. yeah. There was a few people who were like moaning and groaning, and I was like, I... Or I think I have to read that one, or I have to read The, the Gentle Storm, the other Kate Chopin one. Mm -hmm. But The Gentle Short Storm has like very vivid like 1910 descriptions of a lady coming so it's a little like a little weird and it's like four pages or something and the awakening is when well, i read a lot of her work after that uh for future classes and also just on my own because again she really was influential for me in right her, her career too was her being a like an actual like travel writer first i believe like she would write profiles of places and the people mainly 
Oh, wow. Because that was more like a woman's work at the time was you, you did that sort of stuff because it wasn't as legitimate or whatever. And then she wrote like a straight up like romance novel, essentially with that same experience. Uh-huh. Um, so those are pretty good. And I think shifted into just kind of doing literary romances. Right. But that's a good one. Yeah. Because they have, do they talk with a, you know what? That's because she, okay, so the, the main character like marries into like the Cajun ethnic family. So I think they all speak with accents and she might not, right? Or her husband does or her lover does. Somebody does. I actually don't remember that part very vividly. Because that's another way into the dealing with dialects and dealing with local color, too, is having somebody coming into it. Right. To maybe stand in as the uh, the reader. Right. You know. So I think for me, so much of what I read and what I, like, kind of devoured writing-wise was either historical fiction or nonfiction for a long time. That's a good way to do it. So the local color really wasn't much some some authors will go into what actual life was like in the castles what they look like the difference between going and visiting them as a tourist now versus what it would have been like to live there but i really do go back to that laura ingalls wilder and those little house books i think that because she lived in so many different places yeah and her family was so migratory the each book each house each everything kind of has a very different feel to it as she also grows up yeah and i think she did a really good job of capturing that and then of course the one i have to give a shout out to is it the best local writing (laughs) no but you know you can tell when you read Anne rice that there's a love of new orleans yeah and it's different yeah and it's very different than the way she writes she from there or does she did she go there she's from there oh okay yeah so yeah that's a difference yeah you know, she writes specifically and talks about her, sets things in her own house and, oh, okay. you know, streets that she lived on. And, you know, it's <laughs> what if when she writes about somebody that. Somebody interviewed a vampire. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and when she writes <laughs> New Orleans, it's different than when she writes any other setting in the books. Yeah. That makes sense. And, and then what, the, other, the, other, the other examples I could think of are like uh, Swamplandia. Uh, yeah, Portland. Portland. <laughs> no, I mean that's a good example. That is there. a really good example. It is, yeah. There's a sense in there that you know Carrie Brownstein, and I'm not giving any credit to Armisen, that Brownstein has paid attention, you know, and she likes these these weirdos as much as she dislikes them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that's got you know Kyle McLaughlin as the secret weapon there, the secret sauce. But also like Kyle? also that, and also like. 100 Years of Solitude, which I know isn't actually about a real country. It's a fake country, but the country is a stand-in for a lot of South American countries. Mm-hmm. Um, but is that actually local color at that point, or is that... I've not been to South America, but it's a. I think it was a good way to encapsulate the feeling culture and then history, if you understand what you're reading, in a, which I don't, but I know that there's allegories all the way through it. So maybe, I don't know, I mean, it's a sense, it's a sense of place. Right. Right. So maybe know. not technically local color, but sense of place, absolutely. Because I think of like even fantasy writing. Yeah. That's actually common in, fa- in good fantasy writing. Well, not even just good. Because you're never going to know the place. Yeah. But yeah you're never going to be from there. Yeah. So that's because you don't read a lot of YA. That's true. Oh, man. YA, though. That's something I'd like to see is like a YA with a really strong sense of place. Yeah, to really step it up. Instead of just kind of floating along. So yeah. what you're telling there's me like that... Sense, but to be, to be fair, though, there's a lot of, like, sense of room, right? What else do you know when you're a kid? Yes and no, but, like... <laughs> sense we of t- school. So we touched on this earlier. How many... What is the actual 15 to 19-year-old population of Seattle versus what it seems like in YA literature? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and how many are supernatural? Right. Exactly. <laughs> Does the TV show Supernatural take place in Seattle? No. It ta- uh, they're from Lawrence, Kansas. You know what show does is Dark Angel. So many pl- things take place in Seattle, y'all. It's just, I actually was writing my Ten story. things I hate about you. I think Dark Angel, the theme song was filmed in Los- I mean in San Diego. I mean in Seattle and the rest of it's filmed on a back lot. And a lot of the time it's all filmed in Vancouver. But I will say that I actually stopped writing one of my fantasy stories, my, like, uh, current 
uh, urban fantasies. Uh-huh. Stopped writing it in Seattle, even though I'm from there and I know it well. I stopped writing it in Seattle because I was so annoyed at how many fantasy stories take place there. And I was just done. I was like, I don't want it to... Yeah. I don't even want this setting anymore. I don't that, love you anymore, Seattle. <laughs> now, that, that, that brings me to a question. How long do you think you could write something without knowing where you are? Oh, that's a good because question. Because I go like, oh, fantasy, you would have to. But I'm like, I guess you wouldn't, really. They know it's fantastical, but they don't need to know where it is, really. I think setting kind of does matter because it helps you visualize what you're reading, which is pretty pretty important for being able to continue yeah. and stay reading. It would be interesting, and I think you would have to be very rigid about it and have a very figured out method to see where the story would locate itself. But you'd have to have a po- like a forward, a real positive sense of where you want the story to go without the locations, what you want character A and character B to be doing or saying. So are you saying that there is no description of setting? Or are you saying that it's You don't know until it comes up. Or it's in just a nondescript place. Until it comes up, naturally, yeah. Yeah, so I could see, like, um, in, like, an interrogation or something, people are just exchanging information back and forth. Yeah. You don't really need to know what city they're in or what the room looks like. You just need to know what they're saying back and forth. Something like that. Or this person's all in their could, head. How yeah. long you could write a story, you think, without having to go, like, now I need to know the location. So mm-hmm. you have a obsession, though, with bottle episodes. Yeah. Which are episodes of television shows that take place within one room or one house how often can it also just be i thought bottle episode could also just be not just setting but also just one character or does it have to be contained within one setting i think the character thing is a deviation of it but i think in its in its purest sense it's just one location Mm, okay so how many of those bottle episodes does the location not exactly matter a good one the location should matter but a lot of the times it's just the character's bedroom. Yeah, yeah. Or it's a And how much of that setting counts? Yeah. I guess for your your thought experiment. Well, I just I mean, that would be that's almost a little bit different. That's like talking about like a chamber play versus a multi-act musical or something where you know, if it's just two people in a room, if it's a Beckett play, I was about to say, how do you know. do, yeah. yeah, waiting for Godot, you go the entire time not knowing where. But the whole point of the Music Man is that it's a small town. Right. You know, so I guess it kind of just depends what you want to do. I was just wondering how how long. Me personally, a person could do that. Yeah, yeah. me personally, long? not very long. I think it would be distracting to not have that nailed down. That almost seems like something that would work better in film because the just the setting does the work for you. Like I'm thinking of like the beginning of Pulp Fiction, where oh no, the beginning of uh, Reservoir Dogs. That's a good one where they're mm-hmm. just talking about Madonna. And they don't really go through all the L.A. stuff later, but you kind of know where they are. You know, not that... Then then that movie turns into a very L.A.-centric movie, but... Right. You know where it is just because they pan around and you can kind of guess it's a movie, so it's probably L.A., you know. Right. Yeah, because I'm thinking that for me as a writer, if I didn't have a good idea of my setting, and it could be something as simple as it's a big city, it's a small town... But if I don't have those grounding principles, I can see yeah. myself getting so distracted trying to figure that out or trying to write my way to figuring it out yeah. that I wouldn't get anywhere. That makes sense. I was just I was kind of curious. Yeah. Yeah, that's actually pretty interesting to think about and I wonder what my limit is on that. I can't I can't place it right off the bat, but I'd be curious to see what that's like. Cuz I don't know if I've ever gone like this is where this is set. I've always just think I've known and gone from there. You don't have the title card at the bottom of all your novels that say 12 p.m. 12 p.m. Well, and Cloud Atlas was kind of like that. The movie and the book where, I mean, you know where you are, but you also definitely don't. It's not where you are, it's when you are. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Do you like the movie in the movie when um, Tom Hanks is wearing Korean makeup? Oh my gosh, I forgot about that. And all the white actors have like their eyes like pulled back and it looks really rough. Man, I They all look like Benedict Cumberbatch. Oof. I forgot about that. I am. Let's block that from our. Oh, I remember the red. It's such a good movie. It's just like, and the point is, like, it's so futured ahead of time that like all the races have kind of formed into one, and and that uh, South Korea is like the capital of the the United States. It's a weird movie. Not in the United States, capital of the world. It's a good movie. You should see that one. 
So speaking of a sense of place, yes. and I think a writer that wrote with a lot of local color and did have a very strong sense of place in his writing... The Wachowskis. Oh, sorry. <laughs> we, um, out of the first part leg of our trip, on our trip up to Humboldt, we took a pit stop in Glen Ellen, um, outside of Sonoma, and we visited the Jack London Historical House State Park mm-hmm. area. Which I think was really interesting, given that I read uh, Call of the Wild yes. when I was younger. I read White Fang when I was younger. I've probably read those. It, yeah, but who knows? I've it. seen The Wishbone on a couple of them, probably. But I've never considered myself a fan of Jack London. It was something that I had to read rather than really wanted to yeah, read. Yeah, I think it was always given to me because it's like, you're a white boy of a certain age in America. You kind of just get the... The John hey, Jack do you London. like dogs? Here, read this book about dogs that's yeah. so sad. Do you want to read... Uh, oh, you don't want to read that? What about, like, Hatchet? It's okay. kind of like the same thing, but I guess he's younger or something. I don't know. Yeah. So that was, I think, a really interesting trip. The state park itself is sort of divided into two parts. There is kind of the back ruins of his farm, his sustainable farming experiment. Yeah. And the cottage there. And then on the other side, there is the house that his wife finished building after he died. Yes. And his grave. But we didn't see his grave. We have time for the grave. Um, I thought it was good. Um, I think maybe it would have meant a little bit more to me had I been a bigger fan of his. Then again, I'm a fan of John Steinbeck. I went to his house and museum, and it's kind of also like, oh, okay. Like They're like, oh, he was born here. And I'm like... Cool. <laughs> like I don't. I, I and I always want to go to these places. I never know what I'm, what it's supposed to do. Right. Because I also am not one to really like lionize like the writing process of my favorite writers. You know, like I'm not gonna go to like I really want to go to the, the Hemingway House in Florida, but not to be like this is where he wrote this, but to be like I want to see them, five toed cats. You know, and like. <laughs> Look at the estate, because like Jack, the Jack London house, it was a nice house, because he had money, you know, and... Oh, that, I think we were told that he was the first American writer to make a million dollars, even in his time. I still don't quite Oh, and it was that, while but... he was still alive. Yeah, well. while he was still alive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he was wealthy in his own right at the time, you know, but I do think this house did a good job of balancing... Jack London, the writer, with like, here's the weirdo that just liked California. Yeah. And also really loved eating raw duck soup. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> and surfed. Well, and then the house, I think, maybe, in that sense, is probably pretty good. Because I'm not super super familiar with Jack London, but it was very nice on the inside. They had a lot of the memorabilia and stuff, and it had a lot of Polynesian memorabilia. And then it had also a lot of stuff like talking about how... Jack was probably not great with women or Native Americans. I mean, if it wasn't explicitly saying that, that was still kind of the subtext because it's hard to hide. Right. So a little bit of like, oh, this guy was good, but this guy also kind of sucks. Well, and when you go upstairs, there's a large room upstairs in the house that is dedicated to the travels of him and his wife. Yeah. Because the house was turned into a museum. It wasn't finished. They didn't live in it when he was alive. So after he died, the wife finished it and then left explicit instructions that it be turned into a museum for him. Oh, okay. So it's as much her final love letter to yeah. him, even though she went on after he died and had a fairly full life. Yeah. I think someone said that she dated Houdini for a moment. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. All right. I don't know anything about this. This is just what I overheard. But yeah. still, it was as much a testament to her and her vision of what he was uh-huh. as it was his own vision of his success and greatness and whatnot. And that may have been also too because it was where he retired to. Like, I don't quite know where he, his like apartment was, but I think with probably San Francisco, you'll always see plaques that Jack London did this here, that there. And I think that's a little, maybe a little bit different. If you're looking for that sort of thing, like this is where Jack London wrote White Fang, you're not going to find it. No. But if you're sort of looking at the larger themes of his career and the environment that came out of his career and his writing then then I think it's interesting for that well and it's nothing like the 
and I've never been. But I can only imagine that it's nothing, based on what he wrote, that it's nothing like the Alaskan tundra or any of the Canadian woods or those things that he did write about in those books. But it is set away from the big San Francisco giant in California. It is quiet and peaceful. We got to see a lot of the wildflowers that Mm -hmm. everyone's been stomping on, including myself. Uh, respectfully, but you were removed from everything. You did get a sense of being one with nature and living among nature, not in spite of nature. Yeah. Well, and also just being angry at the American farmer for not being more sustainable. Yeah, that was super cool, by the way. Yeah, it was super cool. Like, he... There's so much about how he was trying to grow like a vineyard yes but also his thing she the lady was like oh yeah he filled up the silos because he dammed up that river that's not sustainability that's he ruined something else he's this one of those motherfuckers that's like um like whitman or muir where it's like they have to it's not so much that they are trying to be one with nature they're trying to conquer nature and that's what's best for their farm is that they conquer nature to do the work for them so I think it's a little bit... Um, so it's better than just like, I'm going to go in with as many people and destroy it all and sell it all, certainly. But also it's not... It's not great. <laughs> those, those sort of things, as flawed as they are, pave the way to yeah. better sustainable farming practices yeah. down the line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because what he w- what Jack London was doing was more advanced than what yeah. like Walt Whitman was doing because there was, you know... a a couple decades in between them. I guess not. I guess that, I think I'm in John Muir. But, Still. Yeah. But that's the same thing. It's like, there was a, the time was different. Yeah. It progressed a little further. Maybe not as far as it could have gone. Yeah. But you can see those steps being yeah. taken. Like Muir's diary starts with, he's going to go walk across whatever. And he, he goes, I'm going to bring a, a, a loaf of bread and nothing else. And he refused to learn what to eat out in nature because he thought that being good at nature meant you brought what you, you just ate the one loaf of bread the whole time. And so he like starved half the day just because he like wouldn't just like ask the native friend he had like, what can I eat around here? Yeah. You know? like, yeah. What of, what of these won't kill me? That was, that was not conquering nature. That was not man dominating nature. You know, and I know these are, it's different than, you know, uh, the barren capitalists that came later and stuff like that. Right. You just have to take it all with a grain of salt. And if we all were to have just done what Jack London did a long time ago, then we'd probably be fine. Yeah, I mean, it's... Yeah, we might be in a bad spot, but we'd be... Yeah. In a hopefully better bad spot. For me, seeing the the place, just in general, seeing like the farming stuff and all that, just reminds me that authors are multifaceted. Yeah. And it's not like... Day in, day out, from dawn till dusk, writing, writing, writing. Yeah. Right. They have, you know, trips to Hawaii. They have surfing. They have yeah. sustainable farming. They have... interesting. Surf, uh, surfing to the Americas was also something I was yeah, like... Yeah, I was real suspicious of that claim. Been someone else that did that. Right? Surely not. Surely he was not the first person to suggest surfing to the mainland. That seems a bit absurd, but... Leah, you would know. Surfing safari. But he, he collected a lot of um, indi- like artifacts from indigenous people, which... Whether or not that was polite or respectful, they're still preserved for someone to experience and hopefully learn something from. Well, did you see... So, I think maybe the best thing about one of these things, about seeing artists in their house, is also to see, like, what artists they had brought into their house, so to speak. Right. sense? The things that Mm -hmm. were making them sweat, so to say. Mm -hmm. Because, like, in his kitchen in there... They had Robert Louis Stevenson's China, mm-hmm. but I guess Robert Louis Stevenson died in some some sort of tropical island, and so London had to get on his ship and go there to buy just the dishes, just to have them in his house. He was such a big fan of Robert Louis Stevenson, which then you go, oh, he wrote Treasure Island. Oh, that, or Robinson Crusoe. Oh, that makes sense with the yeah. whole London, uh, that educates the whole London writing, you know. So that was, those are the sorts of things I think is interesting. So the things we learned about Jack London. 
attempted to be a sustainable farmer, built a really dope house, made a lot of money, and was just a super fanboy with that money. And yeah. also died because of uh, lithium poisoning, right? Or was it uh, mercury? It was, it was it a was mixture mercury. of lithium poisoning, uh, only drinking booze and eating raw ducks. I thought it was mercury. Wasn't it, it was a lot of things. I think it was mercury, but on the display it said, like, also his health was pure, p- poor because of smoking, drinking, and eating raw ducks or something like yeah, that. Yeah, he, the, was the, in, he was just in bad shape, and he yeah. was He, was he looks pretty fine. ragged in all those pictures, too. Like, he kind of looks like... When you see those pictures in like '62, where like JFK's face looks real leathery, you know, before he became like pretty and president. Before he died really young too. He was like 40, man. Yeah, that's what yeah. I thought too. Watch your watch what you eat, guys. Yeah, no raw ducks. You hear me? Quack, 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 quack. <laughs> so I think that's it for this uh, special writers' retreat edition of the Right Sweats. Yeah, tune in, tune tune in out from the water tower. Yeah, the water tower lot. That's what locked. this thing is called, yeah. It's freaking gorgeous, by the way. Thank you for not swearing. 1010 do recommend. Yeah. <laughs> we'll put links to it when we get back and it's on the blog. So check us out at therightsweats.com and we'll catch you guys next time. Catch you next week. Not the therightsweats.com. Just rightsweats.com. See us at rightsweats.com. Rightsweats. The website, rightsweats.com. Right sweats. W-E-A-T-S. Thank you. That's C-U-M. C-U-M. That's C-U-M. C-U-M. Bye. Bye.